Hey, when I, was, uh, when I started uh, thinking about this, I thought, how cool would it be if I came in on a zip line from the top? And then I had this vision of me getting wrapped up in the screen and slamming into the back wall of the baptistry. So that was the end of my, uh, my little superhero thing. Um, okay, how many of you recognize that tune like from the first couple of notes? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people, right? It's the tune from Mission Impossible. And depending on your age, maybe you thought about the, uh, the 1960 TV series, uh, which is uh, on your upper right, or you might have thought of the Tom Cruise series of movies, right? I haven't seen the Tom Cruise series of movies, so I can't uh, recommend or not recommend those. Uh, and it really kind of freaked me out to think that Mr. Spock was on Mission Impossible. Uh, I didn't realize that, so. So you might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with the Great Commission, right? How am I going to tie this together? Okay, well, you guys are going to have to indulge me a little bit uh, today. So the theme of Mission Impossible, uh, it's the story of the Mission Impossible Force, okay? And these are an elite, select group of individuals. It's a small team, and uh, when things just go crazy in the world, these are the ones that are called in. Uh, to fix it. So if you've got a rogue government who is trying to develop nuclear or biological weapons, uh, you call the Mission Impossible forces and they come in and they take care of it. Or if you've got a shadowy criminal cartel and they're trying to destabilize something, uh, the Mission Impossible forces come in, or the Impossible Mission force, excuse me, uh, come in and they take care of it. Okay. So again, what does this have to do with the church? Well, in a sense, uh, Okay, use your imagination with me. In a sense, the church is like the impossible mission forces, okay? It's a small, relatively small group. It's select, right? We were preordained for the foundation of the world. God selected us. And the church's mission is against a seemingly superior force, and yet the church always prevails, okay? So that's my intro. If you don't like it, then you guys are just going to have to go with it. All right, so this is what we're actually talking about today. All right, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it has uh, been called uh, the Great Commission is what it's commonly known as. It's been called the Mission Statement of the Church, although those words are not in, um, in the text itself. Okay, and, and these are Jesus' words to his apostles. Um, after his resurrection. And um, I think looking, uh, looking back from 2,000 years of history, we kind of miss some of the drama of this passage. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to talk about that. Then what we want to do is I want to go through it. I want to look at some of the components of this command and then talk about some ways that we can fulfill this command. So that's, that's where we're going today. It's on your study sheet. So this is after the resurrection. Um, the women have come back from the tomb. and They said, Jesus has risen. He said, go meet him in Galilee. And so the 11 go. They have not replaced Judas at this point. So there's 11 of them. They meet Jesus there. And this is what he says to them. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, again, Scripture doesn't tell us, so this is kind of me reading into it, but this, kind, this must have seemed like a, a, a difficult or impossible task for these guys. So they were still coming to terms with the fact that Jesus had just risen from the dead. And some of the other Gospels say that they were hiding in an upper room for fear of the Jews. So here's Jesus saying, go back to the city that just killed me, which is controlled by the Sanhedrin and the, Jew, the Roman authorities who put me on the cross. And you're going to get some kind of power. Jesus didn't specify what that was. And, and this is me speculating, but I don't think, given their track record, that they anticipated the miraculous events of Pentecost. Um, I just can't, I can't see them thinking, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to come down, we're going to speak in languages, and, and thousands of people are going to be added to the church. And so he says, go back to this city that killed me, and here's this mission. Okay? And that must have seemed like a very difficult, if not impossible, task for them. Okay? What I find fascinating is the scriptures don't record any objections by anybody. You would have thought Peter at some point would have said, well, wait a minute, no, how are we going to do this? Or, or, yeah, let's go, or something. But it doesn't record anything. It just records them going. And we can tell, because we're all here, that they were successful in their mission. Right? So if you are sitting in this room, you're a regenerate believer, you can trace your spiritual genealogy back to those 11 men on that mountain. Okay, so over the course of time in history, the church has prevailed. They were successful in their mission. Fast forward to 2018, all right? And we look in our day and age, and the mission has not changed, but it seems like the difficulty is the same for us as it was for them. It seems like it's impossible uh, in some respects. So according to the Joshua Project, which uh, a kind of little rabbit trail, if you're not familiar with the Joshua Project, you should be. Uh, you can Google it. There's an app on your phone where they'll send you an unreached people of the day that you can pray for. Uh, but according to the Joshua Project, and, and I just looked this morning to verify, there's a little over 7,000 people groups totaling about 3.1 billion people so a little less than half of the population of the earth um, who have not heard the gospel. Right? They're unreached. And, and they classify someone as unreached if there's less than 1% of believers, and I believe that they don't have the scriptures in their own language. Okay? So 3.1 billion people still do not have the gospel. Um, you look at Western liberal democracies, right? And we are in cultures who are increasingly hostile to Christianity. Uh, Kent talked about morality today. It's confused. People are losing the ability to tell right from wrong. Uh, in the church and outside the church, right? We're losing the ability to even distinguish reality. That men are men, women are women, uh, and that there's absolute truth, right? So we're losing that ability. And it's in this environment that the command for us is to go and make disciples. So it can seem like it's difficult. Um, but we have the same promise that the 11 did. Okay? 
And so the church is going to prevail. The mission of the church is going to go, is go on. My question for us is, are we going to, part- are we going to participate in that? Uh, so that's what I want us to think about today. Um, and this may, seem, um, this may seem repetitive or basic, but I think it's always helpful for us to remind ourselves of what our mission is, what we're supposed to be doing. When I was in the military, some of you know, may not know, if you're visiting here, I was in the Air Force, and I would get us stationed um, to new locations periodically, and you'd always have a mission brief. You always have an orientation brief to the unit you were going to. Part of that was a mission brief, so the commander or the vice commander or somebody in authority would come in, and they would say, this is what we're supposed to be doing in relation to the higher authorities, uh, and this is your part in that, okay? And so it's good for us to remind ourselves of what it is we're supposed to be doing. Because in the military, we called it mission creep. You have a tendency to get pulled off to do things that are not part of your core mission. Maybe they're, they're important things or things that should be done, uh, but they're not, your core, they're not your core mission. So it's always good for us to remind ourselves of what we're supposed to be doing to avoid mission creep, okay? Because what, there's limited time, there's limited resources, and so we need to be about what we're supposed to be about. Excuse me. All right, so let's look at this. Let's look at this, um, break this command down. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, there's, there's a twofold meaning for Jesus saying this to his, uh, to his apostles and by extension to us. Uh, first he's saying in the sense that all authority is given unto me. So I'm, yes, I'm sending you back to this city that killed me, but the Jewish and the Roman authorities are under my authority. You guys remember in the Gospels when Jesus was before Pilate and Pilate says, well, I have the authority. You're not going to answer me. I have the authority to crucify you. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, you wouldn't have any authority if it hadn't been given to you. You wouldn't have any authority to crucify me unless it had been given to you. You know, Mike has done a really good job of talking about God's sovereignty. There's nothing that happens that God doesn't either cause or allow. Okay? So everything is under God's authority, and Jesus is saying the same thing. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he's going to say, therefore, go. All right? So you don't need to fear the Jewish authorities. You don't need to fear uh, the Roman authorities. And the same is true for us. Okay? Uh, whatever cultural forces are arrayed against us, whatever, uh, whatever it is, we don't need to fear. We just need to go about making disciples. Okay? And the second sense of this is Jesus was saying, when he says, therefore, go, he's saying, I'm delegating some of that authority to you. Okay, I am I'm empowering you to go and to make disciples. This is your mission. You're going in my authority. And I don't know if it's on your study sheet or not, but Paul makes the same point in Second uh, uh, Corinthians 5. It may not be on your study sheet. Where he says that um, I have received the ministry of reconciliation and I have been made an ambassador for Christ. So that it's, I'm making the Christ's appeal Uh, Christ is making his appeal through me. Okay, so 
an ambassador is empowered by the nation that they serve to act on behalf of that other nation. All right? And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's giving some of his authority in the church to go and to baptize, to say who's in and who's out. All right? You're authorized to act on my behalf. And we have that same authority, right? So we don't need to fear. And then we have the authority of Christ to go and do this thing. It's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay. So he says, go, therefore, because, I've, because you don't need to worry about anybody, and because I'm delegating some of my authority, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and I think it's helpful for us to kind of define what we mean by disciple, because uh, I think we can maybe have a different idea. Uh, I didn't come up with this definition. This is actually from Desiring God, uh, from John Piper, but I liked it, and so I'm using it uh, with attribution. Uh, so a disciple is someone who takes up the ways of someone else. And, and in our context, since we want to make disciples of Jesus, it's someone who learns to live like Jesus and conforms their ways and words to the ways and words of Jesus. Okay? So this is what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go and they were supposed to make people who would learn to live like Jesus and who would conform their ways and words to the ways and words of Jesus. And, and, and that's what you find in Acts 2. And, and really in the rest of Acts as well, you find... Uh, churches doing this, conforming themselves, right? Uh, over and over in the scriptures, Paul says, uh, you know, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put off the flesh. Make no provision for it. Uh, pattern your life after me as I follow Christ. Over and over and over you see this, you see this command to make disciples. Um, the other sense of go, therefore, is not just, uh, not just to go. So we think in the sense of sending missionaries, right? W which is part of the command to go, uh, an important part of the command to go. But the other part of the command to go, this can also be translated as as you are going, right? So as you're going about your daily life, as you're going about your daily tasks, you should be making disciples, all right? Now, the apostles, the 11, it was their full-time job to, uh, to teach and to pray. It's what they said in Acts 7 when they were appointing the deacons, right? It's not right for us to give up this ministry to wait tables. But there were other people that were added to the church who it was not their full-time job, right? They were, they were shop owners, or they were merchants, or they were farmers, or they were some other thing. But they still had the responsibility to make disciples. And the way they did that was, again, in Acts 2.42, was in context of living with each other. Okay, as they're going, as you're going about your daily lives, as you're doing life together as a covenant community people, make disciples. And, and the way that happens is as uh, we are in fellowship with each other, as you're being held accountable by each other, as you're doing all those one another's, right? Bearing one another's burdens, confessing our sins to one another, all those things, they happen in context of community. 
So, so listen, for us what this means is um, you can come here for an hour and a half and, or two hours or whatever, and you can totally fake it, right? Uh, you can come in the door, hey, how's it going? Oh, everything's great. And, and, and you can be totally in sin. Uh, you can be totally messed up, right? And, and nobody would ever know. We need to be in smaller groups, smaller communities where someone knows you, where someone is in your business, uh, they know your secrets, they know uh, when you're faking it, when you're not, uh, they have the authority, and, and you have the, the authority to call each other out on it, okay? You, you can't make disciples just by coming to church. You should come to church, I'm not saying that, because that's where we get fed, uh, that's where we get encouraged. That's where we get taught. But if you're not in a smaller group where somebody is working on you, where somebody knows you, where uh, you're not filling those one another passages, then it's very difficult to be a disciple. Okay, and that's the context of of go as you're going, make disciples. All right, now I want to take a really quick rabbit trail. I promise it'll be quick, um, and talk about there's. There's some things that are required for discipleship, both for being a disciple and making disciples. Uh, one is intentionality, okay? And what I mean by intentionality is it has to be a priority for us. What I just talked about, uh, being in a group or, or being in a smaller community or, or being vulnerable, uh, it has to be a priority for us, right? Because we are scheduled to death. We are entertained to death. There are all these other things that clamor for our attention. There are tons of other things to do, better things to do, right, than uh, for, for me to go to Mark and say, Mark, I'm struggling, and for Mark to say, well, yeah, because you're sinning, and, and, and this is what you need to do, all right, because that's painful. So it has to be intentional. It has to be something we want to do. We make it a priority to do. Um, it takes proximity. As I said, you've got to be in community with people, right? Okay, uh, thankfully we live in a in a very technological age, uh, so text. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm praying for you. What are you doing? You take advantage of those technologies. It's better face to face because you can't always read somebody's body language or what they're saying over text. But in a pinch, a, a text will do. Right? But it takes proximity, and it takes time. Not just time out of your schedule, but it takes unstructured time to, to sit down with somebody, to, to be with somebody, um, and then not only in that sense, but it may take uh, longevity, I guess is what I want to say, all right? Because we all grow at different rates. Uh, we all struggle with different things. Uh, some of us have besetting sins that we have been trying to root out for decades, all right? And so it may take time. So those three things it takes. Uh, and, and those are all precious commodities in our day and age, right? Because we all want to do what we want to do. We all have stuff that we think is important to us. And, and time is a very limited commodity for most of us. Okay. So that's our rabbit trail. So let's go back to uh, the Great Commission. All right. Then he says to baptize them. All right. So he's given, he's delegated the authority um, and this is one of the ways the church exercises that authority is baptizing people in the name of the Father 
and then the Son and the Holy Spirit, okay? Because when you baptize somebody, you are, you're agreeing that uh, the way we do it here uh, is we interview somebody, okay? And so I want to know what uh, your testimony is. I want to know that we're worshiping the same Christ, right? And so since baptism is a symbol, it's not salvific, right? It does not save you but it's a symbol of your union with Christ. We want to make sure that we're worshiping the same God. It's the gateway to um, life in the body. All right? So baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right? And then he says, and these actually go together, baptizing and teaching. Uh, baptizing and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Um, and I think this, that last part, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, I think in our day and age, that's probably the harder part, right? Uh, because most of the people in this room are uh, stubborn and independent homeschoolers, and we just don't want to be taught or told what to do, right? Yeah, Alan's shaking his head. You're not? Um, okay. Uh, so we don't you know, one, uh, one we're, we're Americans, and so we have that, uh, that independence. Two, we're Midwesterners, so that's two strikes, right? Uh, yeah, and that just a lot of times, I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to obey. And so I think that's really difficult. Um, guys, I know I am completely off your study sheet, so I apologize if you're... We're just, like, winging it at this point, so... All right, um, so Luke 6.46, um, which is actually the companion passage or the parallel passage to what Kent is teaching through, right? And in it, uh, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? All right, you cannot call yourself a disciple. I can't call myself a disciple if we're not willing to obey what Christ said, wherever that takes us, whether I want to go or not. All right? That's one of the hallmarks of a disciple. Remember, because going back to our definition, we want to conform our words and our ways to Jesus' words and ways. So whatever that means, whatever that looks like, I want to obey Christ's words and I want to do them. And if I'm not going to do that, then I shouldn't call myself a disciple because I'm not. And that's not me saying that. That's the scripture saying. Okay, so hopefully we have an idea. And I haven't just totally confused everybody. Okay, there's that. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. Okay, so teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Um, there's a component of that, right, where... Um, as an elder, or as elders, we have, we have a responsibility to teach, right, to equip. But that's not really where the work of discipleship comes in, right? The work of discipleship, as I said earlier, comes from you guys, which is what this verse is talking about. So you come here, the, the job of the elders is to equip the saints, and it's the saints who do the work of ministry of building up the church, you do that by the one and other passages, right? So elders have a responsibility to teach, to rightly divide the word of truth, to rightly divide doctrine, 
to set boundaries, to guard the flock. But it's the flock that goes out and does the work. It's in the context of the flock that there's discipleship. Okay, so how do we do this? How do we become uh, disciples, and how do we uh, help others to become disciples? All right. And the first way is through worship. Uh, This is from Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Uh, If you haven't read it, I would recommend it to you, Um, maybe as a small group study or, or just... Uh, for your own edification. It's a really, it's a good book and it's a convicting book. But this is his definition of worship. And I, and I like it because I think when we talk about worship, we talk, maybe think about singing or um, maybe we think about what we're doing here. This is worship, worship in the word. And it is, it's a component of it. But this is what Don Whitney says. He says, the God-centered focus and response of the soul it is being preoccupied with God. Right? So that's what worship is. Worship is being preoccupied with God so that your heart is oriented at all times towards God. Right? All the time, your heart should be oriented uh, toward God. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we orient our hearts towards God? Can anybody tell me? Because we never talk about it here at church. Read the word. Read the word. Thank you, Carla. You get, a, you get a gold star. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. You need to read your Bibles. Right? Read Psalm 29 too. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Right? Well, how do we know about God's holiness? How do we know about God's greatness? Through his word. All right, so you need to be reading the word. You need to be, again, going back to that community. You need to be around people who are worshiping, who are worshipers, who encourage you, who stir up your heart and your affection for Christ. Fill your life with those things, not, uh, not other things that take your heart and your affections away from Christ. All right? Um, you know what? If our hearts were properly oriented, then we could come in here and we could sing whatever songs, and it wouldn't matter. Uh, it wouldn't matter how good or how bad or how long or how short the sermon was. Okay? None of that would matter because we would come in here with a different attitude, hearts oriented towards Christ, and, and you would tell a difference if we all came in here like that. Guaranteed. All right. The second way we develop discipleship in ourselves um, and in others is through nurture and edification. And we've already talked a lot about this, so just quickly I'm going to say, um, again, nurture, you're, you're nurtured in several ways. You're nurtured from the pulpit, right? This is Paul telling Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortations, to teaching. Uh, Paul is going to talk in Corinthians. He's going to say, you know, you come together and everybody has a word, encouragement. Those are the ways that we nurture and edify one another. And again, from 1 Thessalonians, um, okay, that's the job of all of us, to build each other up. 
All right? It's the same thing in Hebrews. It talks about uh, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together because that's where you're encouraged. Okay, and then the final way that we um, develop discipleship in ourselves and others is through evangelism. And evangelism is kind of the front end of discipleship, and it's also the back end of discipleship. It's the front end in the sense that somebody shared the gospel with you, and by the grace of God, you responded to that. And it's also the back end is that as you become a disciple and as you are uh, being discipled, you want to share that with somebody else, right? It's multiplication. And I want to tell a quick story um, that I think really illustrates that. Some of you may not have any idea who this is. This is Rosaria Butterfield, and she is a popular uh, conference speaker and writer. She writes a lot for the Gospel Coalition. Um, she's written some stuff for Desiring God. Anyway, her story is that uh, prior to her coming to faith in Christ, she was a uh, women's studies professor at a college in upstate New York. She was an avowed atheist, and she was in a long-term lesbian relationship um, and just really didn't have a lot of use for men. Promise Keepers came to her town and held a, a rally there. So this was, what, early 90s. Um, and she wrote a scathing letter uh, to the newspaper about, uh, you know, uh, how this was misogyny, this was the patriarchy, these were... Uh, wanted to take women back to the 50s, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, all the other things that uh, someone like her would say about Promise Keepers. Well, one of the people that had gone to Promise Keepers was a Presbyterian pastor. And he responded to her, uh, not in a flaming way, not in a, uh, uh, not in a confrontational way. He just said, hey, there were some factual misstatements, and, and you seem a little confused, and, and I'd like to invite you over to dinner uh, to talk about that. And she accepted. She thought, ah, I'm going to go, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail this pastor right in his living room. This is awesome. And, uh, and so they just talked. They had dinner, and he answered her questions, and he didn't share the gospel. He just talked to her, okay? That led to another dinner and another dinner. And another dinner. And eventually she said, hey, what's this Bible thing you're talking about? So she said, well, you know, maybe you can come over sometime. We can go through the Bible. And so that led to dinner and a Bible study. And dinner and a Bible study. Dinner and a Bible study. So over the course of two years, um, this man invested in her. And uh, she, not, she responded to the gospel. She had her questions answered. She, she saw uh, that he treated her as a person, that he was loving towards her. Uh, she wasn't a project, okay? And she responded to the gospel. So today, she's the mother of three or four, I think, is married to a, uh, a reformed Presbyterian pastor, which I'm not exactly sure what the difference is. Um, but anyway, and she's written a couple of books, right? She talks a lot about hospitality um, and how hospitality is the key to uh, is the key to winning people, right? Because survey after survey will say everybody's lonely. We're, we're always connected on Facebook, but we're always lonely because we're not connected. We're pseudo-connected. And so that's her big thing, right? That, that, that's kind of a textbook example of evangelism, but I, but I love that story because it shows you, uh, here's somebody who 
One, it shows you the power of the gospel. Uh, here's a mission impossible, right? This lady, prior to her coming to faith, uh, here's a mission impossible. Uh, she, she hated men, she hated Christians, she was a, a women's studies professor, uh, had really no contact. She was an English, also an English professor, but really had no contact with the Bible. All right? And that is a trophy of grace, right? That our God won for his glory. All right? So it's just a textbook case of evangelism. Not everybody's going to be able to do that. Okay? Sometimes you don't have the opportunity to invest all that time. Sometimes you get drive-by opportunities. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right? But where you can, we should be looking for those opportunities to do things like that. Okay. I want to close with this. Um, this is William Carey. Uh, he says, when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God, and his word is true. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse, though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, Yet my faith, fixed on the sure word, would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. Okay? Listen, the gospel is going to go out through all the world. Will we be part of it? Will we do our part? All right? If you go back to the TV series, when they were getting their mission... Uh, they said, your mission should you decide to accept, right? So there was always an out. Uh, if we claim to be disciples, guys, there is no out for us. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Will we do it? Will we do it? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, dear God, that uh, you have promised and you've been surety uh, that your word uh, will be preached. Thank you, dear God, that uh, uh, Revelation tells us that uh, we are going to worship before the throne with every tribe, every tongue, and every nation um, and give glory and honor to the one who saved us and died for us. And so we just praise you for that, dear God. Father, would you uh, work in us, Father, to one, be disciples ourselves and then to uh, love each other and to be discipling each other, Father. Would you help us to be about the mission that you've given us? Uh, to God, with joyful hearts, with um, anticipation, uh, dear God, of what you're going to do in and through us, Father. And it's just for your glorious and beautiful name we pray it. Amen.